Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that normally sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. But not this week, because it's a Clash Pod special Triple Threat Week. In the red corner, Nicolas Cage is the wonderfully named Stanley Goodspeed, and with the help of Sean Connery, he's got to deal with Alcatraz, VX gas missiles, and psychotic marines in Michael Bay's sophomore feature from 1996. We're talking The Rock. Following is a state secret, gentlemen. Disclose it to any party, and you will be subject to prosecution. John Mason, British national incarcerated on Alcatraz in 1962, escaped in 63. There's no identity in the United States or Great Britain. He does not exist. Secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you. There's a hostage situation on Alcatraz. Hostage, 81 tourist. The rocks a tourist attraction. In the blue corner, Nicolas Cage is the incredibly named Cameron Poe, and he's found himself travelling on the wrong plane at the wrong time as he faces off against John Malkovich and chums as they hijack an aircraft and prove there are worse ways to fly than Ryanair. From 1997, it's Conair. He's a US Ranger. Highly decorated. Did a little hell-raising when he was a kid, but nothing serious. He's defending his wife. Got in a drunken brawl. And he killed the guy. Could have happened to you or me. And in the mauve corner, Nicolas Cage is the astoundingly named... Caster Troy, and he's a bad man. But then he's not, because he's John Travolta, who in turn becomes good guy Nicolas Cage, who is now the not-so-brilliantly-named Sean Archer. Are you with me? From 1997, we wrap up the week with Face Off. 
I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He he has no conscience and he uh, he shows no no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He uh, has a felony list a mile long: murder, arson, kidnapping, terrorism—you name it. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. So what connects these three films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's a clash of the titles. Triple Threat Special. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. Welcome to The Rock. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And thank you very much for joining us for this triple threat special. But not only that, welcome to a month of listener choices on the show. We've handed control over the movies we cover to you, dear Clash Potters. So, what movies are we doing this week, Chris? They're the ones I've already said. Who told us these choices? So, uh, thank you for your suggestions. We've had 250 so far. Wow! It's immense. That's and, great. And lots of lovely messages as well in the email. So, thank you for all of those. Um, Tom Hyten suggested The Rock and Face Off, but just the two films. Right. But the people who didn't listen to our instructions and suggested three films, uh, we have a couple. Uh, ben Ryan, uh, back in June, suggested The Rock, Con Air and Face Off. Mm-hmm. And then Gary Bailey uh, in November suggested them as well. Uh, ben didn't give us a reason. Gary did. So mm-hmm. I'll read his out. Gary says it's what he calls uh, the Nick Cage signed a one-year deal with the devil trilogy. <laughs> Uh, to release Face Off, The Rock and Con Air within a year is mental. I see all three of these films as close contenders for Die Hard's crown and would be really interested to listen to your take on these films. I agree. One of those films, though, is my Die Hard contender for greatest action movie ever. I'm obviously not going to say which, but one of them is very, very close to Die Hard level greatness. Ridiculous, excellent. Mm. Uh, we had some guesses <laughs> on the... Sorry, can I just say, I love your glasses. Yeah. The just new... sneak them on, they're really nice. Sorry, uh, carry on. Oh, I... No, I think you're right to That's mention them. That's why you paused. That's what, you caught it's... your breath because you saw those glasses. <laughs> they're really smart. I can, I can read my notes now. I've been flying blind for the last 18 months. <laughs> Were you not wearing contacts before then? No. You had your eyes tested and they said you need glasses? Yeah. You look great. Thank you. I mean, you look less like Max Payne, but you do look good. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. It is. <laughs> it is. You look great. I can't wait for summer to come around and the Hawaiian shirts to come back. <laughs> uh, so we had uh, a lot of guesses online because you gave another clue, didn't you, on Twitter? Yeah, I think the first one was about it being the ultimate three-way cage fight. And then uh, my second prison, uh, my second clue was no prison can contain these three films. Right. We are on Twitter at ClashPod. If you haven't followed us yet, please do. There's lots going on on there. We are at ClashPod. Also on Instagram at ClashPod. These are the correct guesses. If you did it recently, then I'm sorry because I wrote this list and I haven't checked since. So everyone, well done. But these are the ones I've got. Liam Johnson, nice work. Dylan Berry, congratulations. Sarah. 
Kira ATX, Rick Cracknell, Matt Wilson and Simon Adderley all got the right answer. Big week on the show. The holy trinity of Nicolas Cage. Two years, three movies, a legacy that has endured over 23 years this is an exciting week. I said two years, 96, 97. They were all released within one year, though. But I've said two years. I don't want to confuse matters. That was my big opening. <laughs> Lovely. Mm, with, with a subnote. <laughs> We've got three films to do. Alex, get on with it. All right, then. Uh, shall we do the connections? Yes. What have you got? Uh, well, as I mentioned, the clue, I hadn't really... Th- I had, this wasn't in my head when, I, when we talked about them doing these three films, but it's um, Supermax High Security Prisons. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go one up on that, and mm-hmm. I've got planes, jails, and aircraft hangars. Nice. They all contain quite a lot of plane mm-hmm. action. They all contain jails, as you just mentioned, and they all involve at least one scene in an aircraft hangar. Yep. I'm gonna ramp it up even further and say beige Volvos. What? Yeah, I think I'm right. Chris will know. So in the rock, <laughs> don't care about cars. <laughs> in, the rock, in the rock. Stanley Goodsby's like, I'm not cut out for this shit. I drive a beige Volvo. Yep. And then in Con Air, the couple that are driving in traffic when Dave Chappelle's body falls <gasps> on the car, it's a beige Volvo. Holy shit. And then in Face Off, oh, Sean as caster steals a beige Volvo. That's great. If that's, I need to check that. Not that I'm casting doubt, I am. <laughs> but I do need to ask. That's a really good one. Uh, I have a similar one that all three movies involve car theft on some level, mm-hmm. as you just mentioned, as Caster Troy, when he escapes the Supermax prison, he steals a car from a valet. Uh, in The Rock, Sean Connery steals a Humvee, again from a valet. And in Conair, Cusack steals Cole Meany's, Meany's lovely vehicle. Slow motion. Mm. A lot of slow motion in these films. Mm. Um Movies Disney would not make now. <laughs> These were Buena Vista and Touchstone Pictures, which are all Disney subsidiaries. And Hollywood Pictures. That's another Disney. Yep. And um, it's interesting. I was, I was reading an article about the fact why there haven't been more National Treasure films. Mm. And it's because Disney couldn't figure out a way to market National Treasure in the theme parks and in toy shops and things. And that's the same with these. They just wouldn't make these films now because they couldn't sell the toys. Monetize them outside the actual yeah, to film. children. Weird, the idea of just making a film... For the sake of making <laughs> yeah. a film. Doesn't appeal. Nuts, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I, that's pretty... I mean, I've got... The, the big one I've got is Cage redefining action cinema. That's the big one. Well, you also, before we walked in here, you said that these films are different. I've got a quote. I'm going to read you a quote now. The original script was silly. It wasn't adult. The plot was ludicrous. At first, I refused to do it because the whole story was so unreal. This is a quote from one of the screenwriters who had to do a rewrite. Could you tell which movie he's talking about? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't adult. The plot was ludicrous. Uh, Which film do you think he's talking about? I think he's talking about The Rock. The Rock. The Rock, correct. Yeah, that's The Rock guy. Yeah. Um... Uh, the only other one I've got is a bit rubbish because it only works for two of them and I really wanted it to work for three because it's such a weird scene to have in two of the movies and not the third. Uh, both Face Off and Con Air feature a character being blasted through the air with the full force of a jet engine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Cusack and Cage. There are a few that link the two. Women brought to command centres to cry. Is it, is it <laughs> that's a good That's better than Alex's. Um, and Nicolas Cage is going to be a daddy but doesn't have a baby in two of them. Yeah. Yep. No, is that right? Oh, do you know what? I don't know. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> he's got... He's, he's going to be, be a dad. dad in The Rock. Yeah. He's got a daughter. Well, in really Face Off. Yeah. And he's got a daughter in Conair. But he's never met her. So it's a bit like 
waiting to have a baby. Yeah. Should we talk about the films? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, right, we each picked a movie from the three suggested. Uh, Vicky, mm. you are doing Face Off in our extra episode coming out on Saturday this week. Chris will be covering Con Air on Thursday. But I am kicking off this triple threat week with Michael Bay's follow-up to Bad Boys and Nicolas Cage's first action role. If you're ready, it's time to talk all things The Rock. Let me take you on a journey. Ed Harris is a super decorated officer called General Hummel, and he is super pissed with the American government for not compensating the families of soldiers he's lost on his black op mission. So he does what anyone would do in that situation and takes over Alcatraz with 81 hostages and points 15 nerve gas missiles at San Francisco until people damn well do what he says. No dice, says the government. They get Nicolas Cage's biological weapons specialist to infiltrate the island with the help of Corporal Hicks and the only man ever to escape from Alcatraz, who turns out to be James Bond. Cue a lot of gunfights and the good guy saving the day by launching the Candyman out of a window on a missile. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, The Rock. So, individual histories with this movie. Who'd like to go first? Victoria. I went to the cinema to see this. Yeah, and then I've seen it two or three more times after that. Wow. This was a cinema visit for you. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? What were the circumstances? Uh, Me and my dad went to the pictures. Nice. To watch The Rock. It was just his sort of thing. Your choice or his? His. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was great. Chris? Yeah, I can't really remember. I mean, the three of these is going to be the same for me. The video or cinema visits with mates while I was at uni, probably a bit hungover. I think I could say the same for all three of these films. I can and say- very much enjoyed all three of them. I can say the same for Conair and Face Off. Those, when we get to those, they're just going to be sometime on video. Mm. But uh, The Rock, I have a very distinct memory of watching. It was 1999. I watched it on VHS. I was a student at the time, uh, living in Camden. And I may have imbibed some hallucinogenic mushrooms before I sat down to watch it, which for a long time afterwards made The Rock the greatest movie I'd ever seen. I have watched it numerous times since then, not on hallucinogens. And while it might not be the greatest film ever made, (laughs) I do think it's one of the greatest action movies of the 90s and certainly Michael Bay's greatest film. And I say that as a huge Michael Bay fan, as you know. So I praise indeed. Yeah, it is. I found a quote that says Michael Bay says it's his favourite film, but I couldn't verify it anywhere, and it doesn't feel like the sort of thing he would say, because I imagine the last film mm. Michael Bay oh, yeah. 100%. made... 100%. No, the, the next one. Whatever's yeah. next. This is going to be the greatest. <laughs> yeah. I haven't finished it yet, but yeah. there's a robot that turns into a spoon. <laughs> right, some trivia about the movie. So it was the former head of Disney, Joe Roth, uh, who came across this spec script, and he gave it to Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson and said, I quite like this. Take a look at this. Uh, They were just finishing up on Crimson Tide. They read the script. They liked the idea. It was by David Weisberg and Douglas S. Cook, who at this point had only one other movie credit to their name, the box office bomb, Holy Matrimony, uh, which I looked up on Wikipedia, and I suggest you do the same. It sounds fucking nuts. Patricia Arquette marries a child. Uh, I'll leave you (laughs) to Wikipedia that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, she hides a child to to hide some stolen money. She marries a child. I've seen it. Have you? It's weird. It sounds weird. Is it as weird as I just described it? Yeah. Troubling. I mean, it's not as as horrible as that sounds. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, uh, they go on to write Double Jeopardy. Uh, but either way, this spec script they weren't huge fans of, but this whole idea of Alcatraz being used as a place to take hostages. Yeah, have, have you read um, High Concept, uh, Don Simpson and the Hollywood Culture of Excess by Charles Fleming? I have. Either of you. Yes, no. it's amazing. Yes, uh, and I went back through that when I was covering these films. And the, and the issue, so they gave the script to Jonathan Hensley and he writes in that, he says in that book, the problem with that original script, he says the Connery and Cage characters uh, take over the heavily armed and defended Alcatraz in an unassisted assault with a single rubber boat. Um, the Connery character has no Secret Service background, but is simply an ex-con who escaped from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. How can a guy escape from Alcatraz when everyone knows that no one ever escaped from Alcatraz? <laughs> and if he escaped, how come no one knows about it? So he saw all these issues, yeah. and that's what he had to figure out. Which explains a lot about what I'm going to go into, but to touch on that now, Jonathan Hensley is the man that Michael Bay's Furious did not get a writing credit on this movie because it was the original pairing and another guy uh, who has no other feature credit to his name who were credited with this and Michael Bay did what a lot of directors do in this situation was go, fuck the Writers Guild of America in so many words. But before... They did any rewrites on it. They gave this spec script to Arnold Schwarzenegger and he said it was a lot of handwriting and scribbles and it didn't seem fully baked. So he did not take the role of Stanley Goodspeed. But uh, by the end of the tinkering with this script, the writers who had had a hand in it, like Chris said, Jonathan Hensley, Aaron Sorkin had had a pop, Quentin Tarantino had had a go at it. And a man we discussed just before Christmas, the writer of Chinatown, Robert Town, Jesus. had had a little play around <clears throat> with the script for The Rock, which is possibly why it's so fucking great. Um, There's also a lot of improv by Nicolas Cage while shooting. He said that he signed on to the film initially just to work with Simpson and Bruckheimer, but he's also said that people had been telling him that he would never be able to front an action blockbuster because he was too quirky an actor, and he took that as a challenge, and so he wanted to make The Rock. Uh, He also, as we all know, in the middle of making The Rock, or in pre-production at least, I'm trying to work out the timeline here, he won his Best Acting Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. So this was his first film after winning an Oscar. Yeah, yep. He won the Oscar. The day he won the Oscar was the day they started talking about doing um, Con Air, which was straight after Mm. this, yeah. So all of that's really quite interesting. But this whole story about the pre-production behind The Rock gets to the next level of what when you talk about Sean Connery. Because they wanted Sean Connery for this movie. So they go to London and Bruckheimer describes it as six weeks of heavy lifting in London on the script because he wanted a lot of changes to the character Mason. Mainly, he wanted Mason to be more British. So he brings in a couple of writers, a couple of British writers, and those writers are Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. No, no. The writers of The Likely Lads, Porridge... (laughs) And Lovejoy, which is just so wonderful because in my head now, I've got a trailer that goes from producer Jerry Bruckheimer and director Michael Bay and the writers of Porridge and the Likely Lads (laughs) comes The Rock. Sadly, they didn't get a credit on it. But yeah, they were uh, they were the people who basically beefed up the character of Mason. I mean, they were in a good position at that time because they'd had the commitments come out. So they were doing all right. They'd got some notice in the movie world. Uh, But mainly it was because they'd rewritten a lot of the lines for Connery's character. He'd used them 
for his unofficial Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. And he liked what they did on that. So he was like, get these guys on board. And they were told, don't touch the action sequences. Michael Bay knows what he's doing with those. <laughs> uh, to which they replied, great. Nothing is more boring than writing a car chase. <laughs> so uh, they added more humour and more Bond, basically. They were told to make him more Bond. And there are loads of theories online that he is actually an old James Bond. And that's what the character is. It doesn't really matter whether he is or not, because he is playing Bond. I think we can agree. Yes. It's a bit. He's a bit more childish than Bond. Do you think? Yeah, some of the stuff he says is a little bit. I can't imagine our James saying that. Yeah, but then uh, I guess so. But those lines could have come from other people. I think the lines that uh, Clement and Lafrenet added in were they're like, uh, "I was trained by the best British intelligence, but in retrospect, I'd have sooner been a poet or a farmer." <laughs> That's the kind of line they added in. Um, and finally, uh, Michael Bay, uh, he mentioned on the Blu-ray commentary that it took him six months to say yes to directing this because, in his words, the film wasn't serious enough for him. Uh, that's a quote from the director of Transformers and Armageddon. <laughs> uh, the film wasn't serious enough for him. Uh, he was the one who made them film on Alcatraz. Uh, his quote is, because uh, the studio... Disney wanted him to shoot it in a studio. They gave him three days initially to shoot some GVs of Alcatraz. And he said, I got to shoot on this island because this island is so fucking bitching. Oh, no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Remember, it's Michael Bay. Yeah, okay. It's Michael Bay. Have either of you been to Alcatraz? No. Yes. It's cool, isn't it? Yes. Don't you have a good Alcatraz story? I feel like you've got an anecdote. I went, I've been three times yeah, I think to I've been three times, Alcatraz, yeah. uh, but the best time I went, and this is one of the greatest jobs I ever had. Uh, we were doing a series called California Classics for Sky Cinema, where I basically drove around California and filmed introductions at locations that had been used by films set in California. Uh, so we were actually doing the escape from Alcatraz uh, when we were at Alcatraz, but we got there at like four in the morning before it had opened. And it's great when you're there and there's tourists there and it's fascinating, but on your own, walking down Broadway in the middle of Alcatraz in the pitch black at five in the morning is fucking terrifying. Mm. It's so scary. Did you pretend you were a prisoner? <laughs> Pretended I was a prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I went in the gift shop and I, I actually have a piece of The Rock from The Rock. You know, you can buy a lump of Alcatraz in the gift shop. It's, I, I really enjoyed it there. Um, but it's uh, run by the Park Service. And I'll just tell you this. There's an interview with Jerry Bruckheimer and Michael Bay uh, talking about how because it's a bird sanctuary, uh, they had to have a woman there who looks after the birds while they were filming, a literal bird woman of Alcatraz. <laughs> and she had to follow Ma Michael Bay around and make sure that he didn't set Kick off. a nest. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it didn't shoot any guns too near any birds right. or blow up some rare eggs, <laughs> which... I can imagine he might do, because I did a Q&A with him for Transformers the last night. And he shot a bird. <laughs> a weird turn of events. <laughs> that was his opening. He came out holding this bird. People were like, what's he going to do? Threw it up in the air, <laughs> shot it and started. Bayhem. <laughs> yeah, he was talking about, you know, when he used Blenheim Palace for Transformers the last night, there was that big furore about draping Nazi flags outside Churchill's yeah. birthplace. But he did tell a story that I couldn't find online during that Q&A where he was like, yeah, one of the explosions um, we set off at uh, Blenheim Palace, it broke a 200-year-old window. So I kind of managed to do what the Germans never did. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> he, he's just so fun. Uh, 
and yeah, obviously, uh, famously, Don Simpson passed away uh, during the filming of this. Although just before then, him and Bruckheimer had gone their separate ways with regards to their production company. Mm, I'll get into that in the Conair episode. Excellent. Uh, final thing is the weird legacy that The Rock may be responsible for us entering the Gulf War in 2003. Ah, yes. Really? That's, that's incredibly interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's mad but true. It's nuts. Do you want to, do you want to say? Yeah, um, it's all to do with the Chilcot report. And yeah. this, this came out in 2016. Um, uh, this, there was an MI6 report that alleged that Saddam's government had accelerated the production of chemical and biological agents, and in particular, in particular the chemical agents that might be carried in glass containers. Um, MI6 was questioned directly as part of Chilcot. And the quote is, it was pointed out that glass containers were not typically used in chemical munitions and a popular movie, The Rock, had inaccurately depicted nerve agents being carried in glass beads or spheres. MI6 accepted this possible flaw to their intelligence. Basically, there was an agent who didn't have any evidence but was kind of under pressure to provide some evidence that saw The Rock and went... I'm going to use glass containers as an explanation for how I know they're manufacturing chemical weapons in Iraq. And no one informed the government. They just sort of went, "Okay, we're just going to bury that for ages until the Chilcot report. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the writer of the film, David Weisberg, uh, says what was so amazing was anybody in the poison gas community would immediately know this was total bullshit, such obvious bullshit. I got a lot of funny emails after the report, but he felt it's not a nice legacy for the film because it's tragic we went to war based on his movie. Wow. Yeah. Should we talk about the film? Mm. Sure. Okie dokie. Uh, my favourite fact before we get into this is uh, the average length of each shot in The Rock is 2.4 seconds. <laughs> Did you check that? Did you check that? Did you time them? No, no I, I was going to because I was like, it feels like someone writing a joke about Michael Bay. <laughs> and yet I was watching it going, that's about Could four be. seconds. Yeah, that's be. about a second. This works out about 2.4. Uh, so we get some incredible titles, uh, names coming up, The Rock coming up in flame, then just flames for no apparent reason. <laughs> Before then, you've got, it's the final Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer, mm. um, their production <laughs> until last year, where we got a new Simpson and Bruckheimer movie, as I discovered this week when I watched it. Bad Boys 3 is Simpson Bruckheimer. Oh, they brought because... it back for that, yeah. Ah. Uh... Well, we get some flames, we get some helicopters against sunsets, the first of over 2,000 helicopter shots in this film. Uh, we meet General Hummel at his wife's grave, telling Barb he's got to do something he couldn't do while she was alive. And you already fall in love with Ed Harris because he is a fucking decent man. <laughs> he's playing J.T. Walsh from A Few Good Men, who would go on to be played by James Woods in White House Down. This <laughs> is the same role each time. Uh, this character, though, did come from uh, Don Simpson. Yeah, he watched a 60 Minutes segment about a US government, uh, the US government's refusal to acknowledge soldiers who had died during covert overseas missions. Mm. And there was also a, a memoir by a guy called Colonel David Hackworth concerning the mismanagement of a Southeast Asian campaign during Vietnam. And mm. so he put them together and Hensley, the, the screenwriter, said Simpson's contribution was in creating a really compelling villain, a soldier with a noble end, but unfortunately psychotic means. Yeah, Ed Harris says he sort of struggled a bit because he could never, like combine this idea of him being this decent man doing the right thing mm. with a guy who would threaten to kill 80,000 
San Franciscans. Mm, and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. And and it's also, it's like, you know, we talked about in the Die Hard episode, Stephen D'Souza saying that sometimes people don't realise the protagonist of the film is the villain. Mm. Yeah. And it, that was that was the case with Hans Gruber. And it's the case here. Um, but while Gruber is definitely the villain there, here, what makes it even more interesting, as you say, is that he might be our hero because mm. he is protesting a great injustice. Yeah. And we're reminded that he's a decent guy because we're straight into Hummel and his Marines breaking into a naval depot. And we know it's a naval depot because it has naval depot uh, mm. written in big letters to steal VX gas missiles. Uh, we know he's decent because he uses non-lethal weapons. Uh, question. If you're using non-lethal weapons like a beanbag uh, to fire at someone, I think it might be best to ensure it remains non-lethal by not firing at them where they'll smash through a first floor window and <laughs> fall to their death. <laughs> I, I think that makes it lethal. Yeah. Ish. It's a, it's a weird one. I like that here though that Michael Bay starts as he means to go on. I made a list of sort of Bayisms from this sequence: uh, low angles, lens flare, dry ice, washed out colours, military hardware, men marching, orchestral score, guitar riffs. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see a lot of that in his career. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I couldn't get over the fact that he beanbag the guy, goes to the window, falls. It, to me, it's the end of the Naked Gun. <laughs> Where he shoots the guy in the neck with the dart and she goes, you killed him. And he goes, no, 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 he'll be fine in a couple of minutes. And then he falls to his death and gets crushed <laughs> by a steamroller. Um, we do uh, get to see what the real villain of this film is. VX gas does when a Marine gets trapped in the room and basically melts. They lock him in there and then, what's he called from contact? Says sorry. David Morse. So he says sorry. And you sorry. think, sorry. Yeah. You think, oh, you should be sorry. But then I was like, but if you... So is it contagious then? If the gas had got out of the room... Oh, I was like, I thought he was going to breathe it on them. And he was like, sorry, dude, you've no. got to stay in there. I, I thought it seemed a bit harsh. It is harsh. Yeah. Okay. But it does give us that wonderful moment between Ed Harris and David Moores where they just look at each other after they've had to lock the guy in and you go, that relationship's a great relationship. <laughs> yeah. I like that relationship. Mm. It's a good relationship. Um and then, finally, we meet Nick Cage as Stanley Goodspeed, uh, <laughs> formerly to be called Bill Goodspeed. Uh, Cage changed his name to Stanley Goodspeed. Good choice, Nicolas Cage. One of many in this film. Uh, we learn very quickly that he is going to go big with this performance. <laughs> We're getting big, Cage, here. Um, I love Nicolas Cage. I really do. I think he's incredible in this. What do you think? Yep. <laughs> I mean, this is one of this. This is one of my favourite scenes, and I remember, like when it, when I was watching it in the week, I'm never not pleased to see Nicolas Cage. It's like, hooray, yeah. there he is. I find it in terms of the script, it is a bit difficult because later on his character sort of backtracks a bit, and he's like, oh, I'm not a hero. I drive a beige Volvo, mm. and you think, no, you fucking don't, because you just got in that pod for no reason in a hazmat suit, mm. and there's water, and you're like, get that atropine away from me, get that, <laughs> get that life saving drug out of my face. Um, it's difficult because he's he so is a hero, mm. but they have to kind of like undo that work later to make the to make Sean Connery more heroic. Yeah, I mean, there was a great quote a few years ago. It came from uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, who said, "I'm kind of obsessed with Nicolas Cage," and I think it's a really good description of the way Cage performs. He goes, "He's the only actor since Marlon Brando that's actually done anything new with the art of acting. He's successfully taken us away from an obsession with naturalism into a kind of presentation style of acting that I imagine was popular with old troubadours." Oh yeah, which wow. is really <laughs> a really good assessment of the way Nicolas Cage acts. And this was exciting as well. This was like when. Lee Neeson did Taken to see like an Oscar winning serious actor mm. 
suddenly become an action star. It, it gave the film a real hook as well. Yeah, um, that scene you're talking about, V, that's such a great scene. The sarin gas in the toy doll um, and the dad from Terminator 2 going, stab yourself with the needle, <laughs> and the gas spiralling. Just the way that yeah. gas spirals out of the vent and the cockroaches explode, all these little tiny cuts, it's just fantastic. And his sidekick is really funny where he goes, look how big this is. You want me to stick this into my fucking heart? Are you nuts? Really great scene. Uh, and then we see him playing the guitar naked. <laughs> I know, that's the other thing. I don't drive a beige Volvo. Well, of course you don't. You play the guitar naked. <laughs> you sure he's naked? He's definitely topless. Yeah. He's got his legs. Definitely. Like, well, Michael Bay and Nicolas Cage disagree about this. Nicolas Cage says he wanted to be naked um, to show that he was at home. Uh, Michael Bay okay. said it's because he wanted to show off his body. Which yeah. might make sense if he'd sort of wrecked himself uh, being full method. I think he like drank solidly for three weeks in Ireland for leaving Las Vegas. So he might not have been in the best shape. So once mm. you get back in shape... You, you want, want people to know, yeah. yeah. exactly. Exactly. Uh, we find out his girlfriend, Carla, is pregnant. Um, it was Cage's idea to make it seem that he didn't really want to have kids. Stanley Goodspeed. <laughs> Um, she's, I mean, she's not given much to do, is she, that actress? Sorry, she goes to a command centre and cries. So I don't know if <laughs> I wrote down about Michael Bay, but that's definitely more than enough. I wrote down, <laughs> I wrote down, woman there to give him, make him seem like he has humanity and make him seem less like an alien. Yeah, because he does him. seem like an alien for the last five minutes. The Beatle maniac, mm. you know, shouting, screaming, <laughs> doesn't seem real. The, few things she is given to do she has a couple of lines which we'll get to later she does really well one of her lines that she delivers the way she does it actually makes me well up so she's great and she should have more to yeah. do hmm. um, it was actually as I mentioned Robert Town was the, the one they sent the script to Robert Town because Brooke Hammond was like no you want to have this kid and Nicholas Cage was like, I don't think he should initially hmm. and it was Robert Town who they sent the script to was like Nicholas Cage is right <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break before we carry on Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This week on Stakhanov. Join the self-care club as they trial out all those January health kicks. Listen as they put themselves to the test with Couch to 5K, Dry January and loads more. I think that evening was probably the closest you and I have ever come to having a bit of a Barney. Which we didn't really? have, but we nearly had one. It could have tipped into Bruges. <laughs> And why not check out the latest episode of Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy, where Roberto Martinez reflects on the highs and lows of his managerial career and the lessons he's drawn from 14 years at the top of the game. When you're a young coach, you almost feel that you want to answer every doubt or every question mark that there is surrounding your position and out there. And then the older that you get, you understand that you cannot stop that. It's impossible. You need to affect the headlines of tomorrow. And that's the real power of working in football and being the manager. All that and a whole lot more at Sukarno. So, uh, then we get more Ed Harris being a decent guy, telling some kids uh, to get back on the bus um, because I, I, on the I boat. love that, yeah. But I just the logistics, a school kid saying to their teacher, we've got a goal now. A teacher would be like, well, hold on, I made the decisions. <laughs> Who told you that? Have you been talking to that man? I want to talk to that man. It just wouldn't work that smoothly. But then I understand the beat is he's a good guy. Yeah, uh, and uh, we meet Ranger Bob, uh, the only character I really wish there was a little bit more of. Yeah. I do like Ranger Bob. Uh, apparently, Ed Harris could not sta- stop laughing at the actor playing Ranger Bob uh, on the day they were shooting together. He said, I just had the giggles that day. Um, so then uh, we get another member of this film's incredible support cast. This film is just populated with brilliant actors. Uh, the late, great John Spencer as FBI Director Womack who gets the epic line call the San Francisco office. It seems Alcatraz just reopened. <laughs> <laughs> Goosebumps! <laughs> that so, one's going in the trailer. Yeah. It's no time for jokes. Oh. <laughs> this is really serious. 81 people have been taken hostage, but... <laughs> I get to say. Yeah. Remember, think, wait, wait, wait. Remember, it used to be a prison, so people were kept prison there. Alcatraz is just reopened. Yes, me. High five myself. Um, and then, after about 30 minutes, we finally meet the man who got top billing on the film, the legend Sir Sean Connery, as John Mason, locked up without trial for 30 years because he stole and hit a microfilm with all Jade Hoover's secrets on it, like the aliens at Roswell and Who Killed Kennedy at the two biggies. Yeah, I wish they hadn't included the alien line. Yeah, me too. It's not necessary, and it just takes it takes you out of the movie. Yeah, keep it like domestic. Yeah, it's fine. There's enough of them. (laughs) I don't know. We don't need to add aliens into this semi-realistic universe. Yeah. Are you are you worried that people are going? That's the twist because that's going to reveal that Nicolas Cage is an alien, an alien (laughs) without any humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Uh, with a couple of nice moments in this interrogation scene uh, where Mason is told tourists have been taken hostage and he goes, the rock has become a tourist attraction. Good. Um, and then we get another Bond moment, uh, which is in this interrogation room where Stanley Goodspeed introduces himself to John Mason and he goes, but of course you are, which is the same line as he says in Diamonds Are Forever when he meets Plenty O'Toole. They offer him the Hannibal Lecter deal here, don't they? Mm. Where they tell him they're going to give him stuff, but they're not really going to give him stuff. And yeah. you shouldn't make these people angry. And then you should also not give him a quarter. I think that's really important. Like no one says, oh God, by the way, he's an expert. Lock- <laughs> don't, don't leave anything in the room. Don't make a big point of giving <laughs> yeah. him the quarter Definitely. either. Don't, don't throw a fucking coin at him because he will use that coin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to put this screwdriver here. <laughs> There's a lot of people not listening to other people. Stanley Goodsby goes, take the handcuffs off and here's this pen. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, if, I, if I'd seen this for the first time, I'd be like, oh my God, he's going to kill him with the pen because of Hannibal Lecter. Mm. But that doesn't happen. Uh, so they release him uh, and he gets a haircut uh, while the agents who are meant to be guarding him are distracted by what looks like the most delicious room service delivery ever. I stopped the movie at this point and had a snack. Uh, I was made so hungry I'll by that so. room service. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we get a scene that I'd like to spend a little bit of time on. Uh, I'm going dis- dis- to dissect this scene a bit because it is, in my opinion, one of cinema's greatest car chasers. So this starts when Connery steals a Humvee. Uh, quite weirdly, you know you mentioned National Treasure earlier, mm-hmm. the guy who he steals the Humvee from is the same guy who Ed Harris steals a Range Rover from in exactly the same way in National Treasure Book of Secrets, which also stars Nicholas Cage. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Couldn't say it without the voice. Uh, He's a costume designer in Hollywood. It's his two acting credits. Now, this car chase uh, was inserted after early screenings uh, left a big fat hole in the start of the movie. So, yeah, that makes sense to me because when I'm watching it, making my notes, I wrote down, doesn't further plot in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does activate Cage and his action a little bit, but you could have done that somewhere else where it was actually in service of the plot. So I was sitting there, you know, properly trying to analyse this film, thinking, why the hell is this here? Mm. And it caused problems, didn't it? Well, yeah, Bay uh, wanted the car chase in, uh, in his words, to appease younger film goers and sort of keep the action happening. And uh, one of the writers took issue with uh, the director, in inverted commas, talking about demographics. Uh, Bay said, This is a writer who'd never had a script made into an actual movie, so I shut him down, saying, This is a business. Which, you know, is very Bay. Yeah. So Connery has the Humvee, and uh, because it's a Michael Bay film, Cage, uh, despite <laughs> uh, there being no discussion of his driving skill, uh, and indeed later in the film, he talks about, like you say, how he drives a beige Volvo, gets in a supercar, a Ferrari F355, F355 which he is uh, adept at yeah, driving at high speed no problem. and drifting, uh, which is a very specific driving skill. Uh, nevertheless... We do get some great lines like, I want a net put on this son of a bitch, you hear me? I love military slash police chatter in Michael Bay movies. It For me, that is up there with um, Tyrese Gibson in the first Transformers movie going, bring the rain. <laughs> so I love this shit. I love this shit. <laughs> uh, we also uh, get the ultimate Bay sense of humour moment. Um which you'll pick up on because we talked about it on a, on a very uh, a contentious episode. So we see uh, the American-made Humvee drives over a symbol of counterculture, a German-made, psychedelically painted Volkswagen Beetle with the CND nuclear disarmament sign on it. 
This is a literal forerunner to Bruce Willis firing golf balls at a Greenpeace boat in Armageddon. I'm going to be sick when I think about that scene. It's true. This is this is the kind of thing you know that he is behind that camera going. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Mm. <laughs> love it. The Humvee crushed the stupid hippie car. Fuck you, peace. <laughs> Keep the nukes. Um, I mean. This whole car chase, like you said, Chris, it's a bit ridiculous because Mason is a decent guy, as we find out, and has been hinted at already. And he's putting a lot of people's lives in danger to see his daughter. Um, I think here it kind of works where Bay does something for the sheer spectacle and ignores the context of it. I think later on in his career, and the one that springs to mind is the Humvee again chase in Bad Boys 2, where they drive through a shanty town in Cuba and it's an amazing spectacle, but you can never detach yourself from the poorest people in Cuba are having their homes decimated mm. by this car chase. And that's when I think he crosses the line into like, he doesn't understand that the context makes an action sequence enjoyable or not. Yeah. But here he gets away with it. Um, the Humvee knocks one of the famous San Francisco trams off the rails. There's passengers spilling out. Nicolas Cage has to dodge them. And then the tram hits a parked vehicle, which apparently is made entirely of explosives <laughs> and is launched 20 feet in the air. Uh, interesting tech fact. They use now two giant hydraulic rams to propel that into the air and then hid the rams with CGI fire. I guess you'd have to. Mm. Uh, and then we get the... Uh, ultimate bay shot uh, this is pure bay when the camera is at a low angle rotating around the hero and the oh, hero yeah. stands up into shot as nicholas cage does and you're like that's pure bay and i love it i absolutely love it um bay said the car chase in san francisco turned out to be the biggest clusterfuck i've ever done in my entire filming career he said getting clearance for even a two block stretch required thousands of signatures and he fell behind on the shooting, which made Disney uh, get very angry uh, with him. And it was Sean Connery who came to his rescue. He only said this uh, very recently when um, Sir Sean Connery um, uh, passed away. Uh, he recounted the moment uh, that Bay's eating lunch, uh, faced with the Disney representatives who were there to kick his ass. Connery walks him, sits down... Uh, cue the exec's mouths falling open and in classic Sean Connery style he goes this boy is doing a good job and you're living in your Disney fucking ivory tower and we need more fucking money and without missing a beat they responded how much? I thought you were going to say they were like it's a castle <laughs> we've not seen the fucking logo <laughs> so yeah I love that scene do you think you rate it as one of the great car chasers? Oh, I don't, I don't love it. No, nah, I mean it's a, it's an alright car chase, but we're an hour in and the heroes haven't gone to Alcatraz yet, and I'm thinking, get on with the movie. Yeah, and just the stuff they smash into, I just wish it thematically tied it to like when they smash through the water, you know, the big uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that's gonna look good, mm. but has nothing to do with. I, mean, I suppose it's on an island, so maybe, but just if it'd been thematically a bit more coherent, maybe. Mm. I, I just. I just like a car chase. Yeah, sure, sure. I like a car chase. Anyway, it gets Mason to his daughter and her annoying friend, Stacey. <laughs> I know this is such a, not a feminist thing to say, but Stacey to me was like, some girl is a friend of someone. She's like, I want to be in this movie. He's like, we really have nowhere for you to be, Stacey. Can she not just, you've come with me to feel safe or whatever the fuck she says. Like, it was just a non-part. Yeah, and also when a guy steps out and looks at two of you, 
and goes, Jade? Like, why Why would you be the one to go, no, actually, I'm Stacy. That's Jade. It's like, I, it was a question to both of you. I mean, Stacy, you could have stepped aside and Jade could have just answered. You're gone, yeah. <laughs> I'm Jade, yeah. But um, you get you get your Save the Cat moment. Go where um, uh, Goodspeed says that Connery's working for the FBI. Oh, yeah. It's the, li- the literal one, because the one you always cite as an example is from Serpico. Yeah, that's right. Where right. it's trying to make a father look good in front of their child. They use the, the same one here. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we do get uh, the great bit where he goes, because uh, obviously Nicolas Cage's thing about Stanley Goodspeed is he never swears. And so that's why you get like, well, gee whiz, John, why don't we just cut the chit chat, you a-hole? Great. Um, then uh, another amazing supporting cast member turns up, the legend that is Michael Bean, uh, playing a Navy SEAL uh, for, I think, the 72nd time in his career. <laughs> Obviously, he was a Navy SEAL in the Abyss. He was a Navy SEAL in Navy SEALs. He was a kind of Navy SEAL in Aliens when he was a colonial Marine. Um, Harris, who worked with um, uh, Bean on the Abyss, uh, said that the experience bound a lot of us together. Like being in a war of some kind, which I only introduced because Michael Bay compares himself to James Cameron on his movie sets a lot and actually takes pleasure in being this kind of dictatorial figure. So Cage finds out he's going with them to Alcatraz and that makes him throw up um, another Cage idea. Bean gets his magnificent moment and one of my favourite speeches in it. Make no mistake, gentlemen, we are in a fight of our lives against one of the greatest battalion commanders of the Vietnam War. I shit you not. Love the fact he says, I shit you not at the end. Um, And this, you know, we were talking about Carla not having a lot to do. Yeah. It's a shame because uh, Vanessa Murill's line here, where she finds out that Stanley is underwater heading for Alcatraz, and he goes... Stan's not a very good swimmer. I mean, he can't even snorkel. It's really touching. I'm well up at that point. Is that just me? I think Mm. so, yeah. Mm. Anyway, finally, after about an hour in, we are on the rock. And uh, we know we're on the rock because Connery says... Welcome to the Rock. Yeah, Good. I wrote down. I know Alex is going to say this in a Connery accent. <laughs> um, I, I, when I was sort of going to go big on one scene, I was going to do the car chase, or I was going to do this scene because I think this scene's uh, quite an epic moment, which is the shower scene where the Navy SEALs wow, yeah. get massacred uh, by the Marines. Um, it's so good. Um, it's strange because it's so inevitable what is going to happen, and yet you really like Michael Bean. And he's like, General, don't do this. We've spilled the same blood and the same mud. And then there's that whole, I cannot give that order. I want to repeat that order. <laughs> I cannot give that order. They just shout at each other yeah. a lot. But every time I watch it, I do. It's one of those scenes, you know, when you want it to end differently and you kind of think maybe this time Michael Bean <laughs> won't die and they'll sort their shit out. I'm, Are you that emotionally invested in these soldiers you've just met? <laughs> Michael Bean. Only because of aliens. Yeah. It's because it, Aliens, basically, he's Hicks to me in every movie. It's like Hicks is there. Um, uh, but we do get our first taste of Tony Dodds, Captain Darrow, and his buddy Captain Fry being utter psychos when Captain Fry goes, <laughs> let's waste these fuckers. Which is uh, when we learn that they might mutiny within a mutiny. That's what you get when you hire mercs. Well, they weren't mercs at the time. We became mercs when we took hostages. Um, and then it's just Connery and Cage running around trying to get the guidance chips for missiles at the end. 
Um, but speaking of them being mercs, though, they're all going to get a million dollars each. It doesn't seem like a lot. That's not a lot of money for the rest of your life, <laughs> even well. in 1996. Although I suppose he says you have to go to a non-extradition country and maybe it goes further. It, I mean, it will do, yeah. But nevertheless, yeah. I still think a million is quite is not yeah. a huge amount for the rest of your life. If you think you're going to kill eighty thousand people, yes, for it as well, yeah, yeah. it's a hard crime. You, you you think they're going to go? We're, we're going to come and get you. I mean, eighty thousand people are dead. We can't just oh, you got away. Yeah, we'll let you go. Um, but yeah, there's some great stuff. I mean, Michael Bay uh, dropping uh, fire on actual Nicolas Cage and Sean, Sean Connery uh, when they're underwater. Apparently, they took a lot of convincing to do that scene because it's actually them underwater where the firebomb goes above them. Uh, Connery apparently wanted the water heated to 90 degrees uh, for all the interior sequences uh, to stay warm. Yeah. I don't blame him. Yeah. Uh, it's still quite an easy way to make a living. Like, I know they do look freezing in those tunnels, but I know they probably were in there all day. Yeah. I, well, the least he can have his water warmed up for him. Do you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they had to stop doing it uh, because uh, a doctor on set said uh, the reason everyone has stomach flu is because the water is one massive incubator. Oh. Although, to be fair, why is Sean Connery asking for the water to be heated up? Because he puts his mask on before he goes swimming. So he, we don't see him underwater sort of without a mic it's a stuntman that's why they've, they've done that but the waist down he's still there he's just down. been a good guy he's been a good guy for everyone else yeah um now i mentioned at the start quentin tarantino did a bit of a rewrite on this there's no real no way of finding out what lines he actually contributed but i think i'm gonna i'm laying my cards on the table here and i think that um the whole losers always whine about the best winners go home and fuck the prom queen Carla was the prom queen. I think that's Tarantino. 18-year-old me probably thought that was a really good line, and I don't think it's very good now. And that's what I mean. I can't imagine James Bond saying something like that. No. It's an, it's an awful line now, um, yeah. but it, it does. It, it makes me think... Bully, bully boy line. Yeah, but if you think about where Tarantino was at this point and what if he'd sort of script-doctored something, it's not far from some of the uglier lines in True Romance, sure. maybe. But they're try- I feel like they're trying to give him here a bit of a, Mig- a Riggs and Murtagh relationship going on including I mean uh, Connor even says I'm too old for this That's, that line should have been cut I mean mm. what on yeah. earth are you doing putting a line from Lethal Weapon mm. that is literally the line from Lethal Weapon well it's Weapon. obvious what you're doing they're trying to make us f- f- see these guys like Riggs and Murtaugh and they don't have that vibe they really yeah. don't was there any do you know from your research if they, so did Nick Cage and Sean Connery get on or was there any trouble about who was the lead because there's these certain scenes where it looks like they're repositioning whose film it is so like the scene where we're talking about the weapon again, and even though we already know what the weapon does because it's been established early on and a teaspoon can kill 80,000 people or whatever, when they get to it and they see the glass beads, Nicolas Cage has quite a long section where he's like, this is what this stuff does. And I think it's to give him a platform because he hasn't been very useful, as useful as Sean Connery has because he's not got the practical skills. But we know exactly how dangerous it is. And I thought it was more... I'm not saying this is what Nicolas Cage is like, but it's like, I want my turn to shine now. Mm. So I want a big speech but we don't have any more material, so we'll just reaffirm mm. that I'm the guy in chat. Like, I'm useful with these glass beads, even though I will set off a fucking hand grenade next to them in five minutes or whatever. <laughs> like, please don't blow them up. To answer your question, um, there's not there's nothing about them not getting on or anything, and there is the only quote I could find on that subject, because I was interested in that as well, is that uh, one source says that uh, Connery was actually interested in doing The Rock, uh, not only because he hadn't done a big blockbuster for a while at this point, but that he did want to work with Nicolas Cage. 
but then Nicolas Cage had just won an Oscar. <laughs> so right. you might. Uh... One line that really confused me is when someone's when someone's fighting or, or, or trying to kill um, Sean Connery, they they call him English prick. Uh, did I tell you my old man was Irish? Yeah. I couldn't believe that line was in this film. I was waiting for him to say, fuck off, I'm Scottish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's such a proud Scotsman and yeah. it never comes. So I'm thinking, how did Connery allow a line about him, yeah. someone caught, someone beating up because he's English, get into and this movie? And on, he quotes Oscar Wilde and I thought, oh, that's cute. But you maybe you wouldn't. Like, you're sure Sean Connery. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, whatever, Robbie oh. Burns, whatever. But yeah. Um, that scene, though, uh, where Cage is, the first missile they come to and he's sort of delicately removing what are quite beautiful, the VX pearls. Oh, um, God, I'd love to eat one. <laughs> they look so tasty. <laughs> uh, Cage apparently uh, showed um, Bay and Bruckheimer Jaws and Richard Dreyfuss's performance for what he wanted to emulate in that scene. And I was like, it doesn't say anywhere what scene he was doing. But to me, when you watch it and you think about the Richard Dreyfus scene in Jaws where he is uh, doing the autopsy on the first victim, yeah. there is a real cage vibe to the way he's dismantling that bomb. Mm. That sort of real strict, like, don't fuck around with this, get me a glass of water now, that, kind of, that whole thing. I get that a lot. Uh, then we get the cart chase, uh, which is... It looks so stupid. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was it was it it worked in Temple of Doom. Yeah, that's it what was, I was better thinking. there. Oh, hello, Indy's dad. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> but no, we'll do we'll do the Temple of Doom scene, but we'll put them on the ceiling. What? Yeah, I don't understand how this is happening. But they like, just look silly because it looks like a theme park. Like it doesn't yeah. look scary. It looks daft. Yeah, I mean, apparently they ran out of money. Is the long and short of it? Because they were meant to be. So it wasn't like Temple of Doom and on rails. They were meant to be suspended from the right. ceiling for the whole chase. Um, but they couldn't do that because they had very little money at this point. Michael Bay spent it all on other but, things. But as Vicky says, it's, if, it, if they were suspended from the ceiling, it's, it's still turning into Alcatraz into a theme park. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really make any sense. Like and a it, Bond villain's lair or something. But not... then it does fit into this whole weird sort of thing that, like, there are, when you rewatch it and you have this in your head, it is a bit like Goonies for grown-ups. Yeah. This whole sort of messing about in caves and tunnels and being chased by villains and getting in carts and stuff. Well, then you can't set it on Alcatraz, I'm afraid, because <laughs> lots of us have been there and none of that stuff Do is they not there. Have that? <laughs> no, it's, really? it, I mean, it's mainly a prison. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's Mason. It's not an underground mine. Mason, is it not? how did you escape? Oh, you wouldn't believe it, but there's these carts. <laughs> it's a mine. <laughs> there's a tunnel all the way to the mainland. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you could dig down that far. What with it being at sea? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the only other interesting Indiana Jones connection is that um, Michael Bay, the reason he became a director was Indiana Jones. He used to work as a 15-year-old at Lucasfilm and... He tells this story about how he was filing storyboards for a movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he thought, what a stupid title. <laughs> and he saw that Steven Spielberg was directing it. And he went away and told all his friends, he was like, Spielberg's directing this ridiculous sounding movie. It's going to be rubbish. And then he went to the cinema and saw it and went, I want to be a director. <laughs> so um, that's how he became a director. Um so that minecart chase features uh, Michael Bay's least favourite shot, which he didn't shoot, which is why he normally shoots a lot of his own second unit stuff. He's a bit with a dummy, where it's clearly a dummy falling out of the minecart. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the thing. It does look a bit a bit rubbish. Uh, another awesome cast member, John C. McGinley, mm. um, uh, gets his legs... Set on fire? Set on fire, and then falls about 20 feet into some water. Which and is helpful in that yeah, situation. Yeah, and dies, and you're like, surely they would just put him out, and then he sort of, you know... 
get rolled back onto a track. <laughs> get back on the roller coaster. <laughs> um, but uh, they get caught. They get locked up. Um, uh, Nicholas Cage ad-libs the how in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of your cell, uh, which Bay desperately wanted to cut and Cage demanded that it be left in. What a strange argument that is to have, <laughs> isn't it? Because you'd have to get really sick. Baby agents got involved. Really odd. Because it is the big mystery of this film uh, up to that point. How did he escape? It looks quite easy to escape, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? I just tie some sheets together and chuck them and boom, I'm out. Yeah. <sighs> um... And then we're sort of into the the, the final uh, climax, uh, which is um, good speed. Uh, well, things start to fall apart, uh, really, for um, for poor old Ed Harris at this point. Uh, people die. Um, he gets killed. Uh, and in his dying moments is all I... What have I done? No, I, I really like this because that's called... as a character slingshot. So he's not understood the gravity of the situation until the very last minute. Mm. So he doesn't have a gradual realisation of like, oh shit, like I've done something terrible. He's really on his mission. Mm. And then with his dying breath, he's like, what have I done? So he just goes slingshotting back the other way, which can be really corny sometimes if it's not done right, because you're like, oh, that's convenient that you suddenly realise. But I think he play, he pulls it off really well. Doesn't he realise though when he's arguing with his men and he's trying, when he, when he, when he calls off that, uh, that uh, yeah. rocket? yeah. He he stops the rocket himself, so isn't that the moment that he's? Yeah, but he doesn't seem sorry. He doesn't seem like. But he knows you can see it in his face. He knows that he's run out of ideas because if he's not gonna, like Tony Todd says, it's like if you or Captain Fry, whichever one of them says it, if you're not gonna actually do it, yeah, like, you know you. And he was never gonna. It was always a bluff for him. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Well, so if it was always a bluff, why does he take the real weapon to the rock? Because, because they'll know that he has it. Yeah, so you could steal it and then hide it somewhere else, couldn't you? And then. Why do you yeah, have to but they've up? got they've got spotters, haven't they? And they do a, a they do a thing. Do from they do a thing where they can satellite? Sense it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I don't. I wouldn't be a very good bluff. I don't think if he didn't have the weapon okay, there. Fine. Actually, though, now you've said that, early on in the movie, you're absolutely right. They do use some kind of satellite imagery and go. You can see that's where the missiles are. Yeah. And then for the rest of the movie, Nicolas Cage is wandering around going, where are the missiles? <laughs> yeah. Take that information with you. Yeah, just tell him. Take the map and go, yeah. missile here, 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 here. Well, let's go find them. As opposed <laughs> to going, oh, we need to go find it. Where is it? Um, yeah, so Tony, Dodd, Tony Todd wants my fucking money and uh, ends up with being blown out. Yeah, so I'm going to say something now. This film made me really think. If I'm fighting someone and they ask me if I like the song Rocket Man Mm. while I'm standing in front of a rocket, (laughs) I'm moving out of the way fast. Or if I've paid $600 for a fucking Beatles album... Why do I not use a Beatles song in that moment? Anything would do. Anything. Lucy well, no, it's good. Sky it, it's with got, diamonds. Anything. Yeah. It, I mean, it does have to have a rocket thing for it to be. Then it can't be a Beatles album because at the beginning he's like, I paid six hundred dollars for the white album, whatever. And it's like, wow, he's you're a, so something. He's a, he's a Beatle maniac. He's a Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Uh, 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 another uh, moment in that, though, is when uh, Goodspeed uh, launches him out the window and he says something like, how do you like how that shit works? Which is the first time he swears in the movie. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, my there God. There is a good bit where Nicholas Cage has got, he's got the green ball. 
He buries the rest, doesn't bury that one ball for some reason. Yep. But Sean Connery's left just jogging the perimeter, so you've got all this action going on, and it looks like Sean Connery's just been like, I'll just get in a run, actually, because <laughs> I don't know what's what's in my future. So. And also the fact that he's he puts that green glass bauble yeah. in his top pocket and then, and then engages in a, a huge fist fight and then goes, oh, didn't break. Yeah. Oh, lucky. Have that in your mouth, Captain Fry. That's a good bit. Also, he when he's going to, and then the atrophy, he doesn't take his jacket off, and that really annoyed me. It's like you, you're trying to stab yourself in the heart. You don't have to go through your clothes. Yeah. So yeah, every all the bad guys die, and then we get uh, truly uh, one of my favourite moments in all of action cinema when the planes are coming and he's on his knees yeah, with the awesome. green awesome. smoke and then the spotters I go... Got, I nearly texted him, just like, green smoke! <laughs> I love it so much. I thought, yeah. if you haven't watched it, it's going to seem weird. It's, it's so good. We've got green smoke. I already dropped it! And the pilot's like... <laughs> and the plane goes past the camera and you're like... <gasps> I did think, though, if you were standing good speed, yeah, you would do the green smoke, <laughs> even if you'd not solved the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that as well. I mean, you'd be like... in the plane, you'd be like, well, you fucking would say that. <laughs> 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 so yeah, uh, the planes go over cage, da 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 da, da and uh, we they get the microfilm at the end, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, uh, Mason vaporized, uh, but I can't say that without a grin on my face, which makes it obvious that I'm lying." He's yeah. like, <laughs> "Vaporized? <laughs> Are you buying this?" Uh, and that's it. Shall we do the bits? Lovely. Mm. What's your best scene? I've got green smoke. I've got green smoke. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, me too. All right. Gloriously ridiculous, ridiculously glorious. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I watched a 15-minute uh, tech documentary about how they shot that scene, which I won't go into here, but that's how much I love that scene. And I was getting concerned because I was I hadn't written down a best scene until that point. I was thinking, I really hope there's something here. And I was like, yeah, that's that's good. It's awesome. It's brilliant. makes me cry. You know what I do? You know what I'm like? If there's a moment of beautiful action that also has some real emotion attached to it, cry my eyes. That's why, you, that's why I didn't text you. So you were to see. You, crying. You, are, you are such a broken man. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, I'm not even going to deny it. Uh, MVW, Victoria, most valuable whatever. So it's it's not Nicolas Cage because I think it's uh, a bit of miscasting or it's like if if Nicolas Cage, I want him to be in it but this whole thing about I'm not this guy for this job like I don't buy it because I've seen him diffuse that Serbian tea chest or whatever it was in the beginning mm-hmm. so like if he was John Cusack I think I would buy it but anyway so it's Sean Connery uh, as a sarcastic James Bond lovely Chris Connery still showing his boss. Uh, well, that's three for three. <laughs> wow. Sean Connery. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great for him. Uh, it was his biggest hit since The Hunt for Red October. Um, and, you know, it's it's a weird one because it's not his final film, but it is his final really good film. I mean, after this, he went on to make uh, The English Avengers uh and then Entrapment and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which all, I really... all three of which we'll be doing. Yeah, I do. I actually do like Entrapment. <laughs> it's weird. I had this conversation with someone the other day because I haven't seen it since I was probably about I don't know fifteen, and I remember loving it. And I said to my friend, Entrapment's really good, and he wasn't ha- not happy. Not really. He wasn't having any of it. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure Entrapment's only three minutes long. And it's that scene of Zeta <laughs> Jones. <laughs> I don't think anything else happens in that film. Anyway, she puts her bum under a laser. Yes, so, I don't know. I, it's really good. I have some weird memories of the climax at the twin. Towers in Kuala Lumpur 
and I remember thinking, this is quite good, <laughs> but I need to watch it again. So I was I'm, thinking more I'd rather do, I'd rather do, I really want to do the English Avengers and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen should have been so good. Okay, and um, finally, uh, what would you change, Chris? That car chase that uh, is very good, but doesn't, sort of uh, propel the plot forward at all um you know i'd spend that time getting to know hummel a little bit and understanding his motivations and he's got you've got such a great actor you've got such an interesting character and it's similar to we had the same conversation about james woods in white house down uh, and that character had the same problem so i just would have spent more time with the villain and the villains yeah i i I agree it is a weird one that you don't get to see enough of ed harris he goes from being sure of himself to going what have i done Mm. and that's it Victoria, change. Um, Sean Connery should get the microfilm. Nicholas Cage doesn't need it because his life is fine. So there should be a scene that says Sean Connery gets it back and uses it to set up a new life with money and whatever else. Okay. You think he needs more than the $200 in (laughs) Nicholas Cage's hotel room? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he probably does. (laughs) You take the microfilm that is worth billions. billion pounds. And I'll take $200 and a change of clothes. Thanks. Yeah. so I had initially, thank God I wrote down two, because my first change is uh, the change that you already mentioned. When he's killing Tony Todd and talking about Elton John, you're like, do a Beatles fucking yeah. song. You yeah. Yeah. You've, you've, you've literally set it up. Pay this fucker <laughs> off. What are you doing? Like One or the other. He loves Elton John at the yep, start fine. or he mentions the Beatles at the end. You can't have both, you fucking idiots. Unbelievable. 23 writers and no one went, hang on a second. There's an opportunity here. Hang on. <laughs> we, uh, oh, it's okay. So I thought I was being a dick. No, no, no. Oh, no. I agree with you. It just, it needed to be a rocket thing. That was all. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, as you said, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, maybe there's a line in that. I mean, it's doable. It's, it's just <laughs> fucking, just, like, just tie it off. It's sitting there. <laughs> tie the fucking thing off. Six, right? Tarantino? Did you not fucking spot? Robert Town? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but I had, I have another one, and it's a really simple one. It's when they're talking at the end, uh, Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery, and he gives him, he's like, it's, uh, go to this place for whatever it is. And he gives him a little note saying, uh, front pew, a hollow leg. Mm. And Nicholas Cage looks down and opens the note and looks back up. And Sean Connery is literally, within five seconds, 100 metres away yeah. in the background. And you go... You fucking teleport? How did he get there? It's just, it's a real, I know it's Michael Bay, but that cut is too much. You're like, there is no way he yeah. got over there while he looked down and looked back up. That's true. It's a really weird one. So that is the end of The Rock. Uh, we're moving the quiz this week to Thursday, aren't we, Chris? We are. Uh, end of the Conair episode. It's fine uh, with me, because, yeah, Thursday we are back to talk through Con Air as part of our Nicolas Cage Triple Threat Week. In the meantime, uh, please subscribe, uh, rate and review us if you have time. Uh, it'd be a great help uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or other. There are so many places. And do follow us on Twitter at ClashPod and on the Instagram as well at ClashPod. Back on Thursday for Con Air. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.